The views and opinions of this program are those of the host guests and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a fairly quiet day on Wednesday in the grain markets and in livestock as well. Tried to eke out a little bit of green and corn and soybeans after a pretty rough day to start off the new trading year on Tuesday. Welcome into the show. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and we got a lot of ground to cover on today's program. As I mentioned, a bit of a quieter day in the markets overall on Wednesday. That was nice to see after a rough one to kick off the year on the day Tuesday. We're going to dive in and get some thoughts on the market action and direction here on today's show. Coming up, we'll talk with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He will join us for our first conversation of the new year. We'll get Mike's thoughts on what's happening in these markets and more. So uh, look forward to that discussion starting here in segment two today. So looking forward to catching up with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. First up on the show, though, here today, let's get some thoughts from Mark Lucas with Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman during our midday commentary on Wednesday. And I asked Mark about some of the quietness in the trade. He really points to South American weather as kind of the main driver in these markets. Uh, same old story. You know, here we go. Uh, watch it South America closely in Brazil. That seems to be the really the only news item in the markets here as we kicked off Wednesday's trade and work through Wednesday's session. As we talk about that, we also talk about maybe the potential of some farmers selling in corn. Here are comments with Mark Lucas from StoneX. You know, um, I think coming in for the new year here, uh, some you know, some fresh money took a look at it and said, gee, these uh, South American weather looks like, uh, you know, things are at least stabilizing. Um, it's not perfect all over, but uh we have put out some new numbers uh, internally in terms of South American production and dropped it back from levels that we had about a month ago, which isn't a surprise. But like I say, at least the current weather, the last two weeks, things have improved and in, in stabilizing. Uh, Paraná, Sao Paulo, still dry in those parts of Brazil, but uh, other areas uh, looking you know, quite a little bit better. So uh, I think that's what really hit the markets yesterday. And uh, Argentina's looking in pretty decent shape right now. Uh, you know, I think that's part of that whole weather picture. Uh, push these corn and uh, March corn into new lows yesterday and uh, new lows again early this morning. We have since bounced off that low. But, you know, people look at this wondering, you know, how, how much lower can we go? And we don't have to look too far back to the December contract here. Uh, you know, we got down to around 447 on the December contract in late November and Chart-wise, maybe that's, you know, at least an area where people are going to start taking a look at, uh, gee, we bounced off it last time. Let's see if it'll hold this time on the weekly chart. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder, too, you know, with this corn market, I know farmers don't want to sell the low, obviously. But at the same time, a new year can tend to lead to farmers selling early in the year. Plus, we have uh, pretty good weather across the country this week. So I, I wonder... How many farmers are taking a look at any sort of uh, basis opportunities regionally in, in parts of the country and, and maybe selling a little bit of corn, even if they don't love um, these price levels here, Mark? 
You know, it, it really boils down to, I think, at this point, they don't like the prices, so it's going to boil down to a, a cash necessity, you know, type of program, uh, and it, which is a lot of times what we revert back to. If, if we don't like the prices, we go, well, I don't have much choice. i got to make some sales, whether i got some uh, cash rent payments coming up or that kind of thing. And, you know, we're a little ways away from that here yet, but, uh, um, you know, that may very well be the thing that uh, guys have to throw the towel in and at least raise a little bit of cash anyway. And once again, Mark Lucas from Stonex sitting in for Arlen Suderman in our midday commentary on Wednesday. Well, of course, John Heimberg, one of our uh, great market guests we talk to uh, each and every week here on the program. Didn't have a full conversation with John this week uh, with uh, Monday being the New Year's Day holiday. But I did get a few thoughts from him as I talked with uh, with him on the phone earlier this morning. And uh, he says there are a few key things to watch for in the new year. The first is money flow. And he says funds continue to sell the ag sector at a rate that's raising eyebrows. You know, a big part of the agricultural prices and how things move in terms of price is the, is the way the money moves in the investment accounts of, of managed money positions and things of that nature. And, and that's something that's really been kind of coming into play here, I think, in terms of the put pressure in the agriculture sector as the money has been aggressively been selling the ag space overall, not just the grains, the livestock sector as well, as well as some of the softs uh, that are out there. And we're seeing the fund position continue to grow in this, in fact, and now we're at their shortest they've been in the ag sector in about three and a half years in terms of their actual money flow. And Heinberg says that action is tied to a couple of different factors. First off, in the green sector, corn had a rough year. We're down about 30% year over year in the value of the corn price. A lot of that is also tied to the large supply picture that we're seeing here in the U.S. that's projected. We'll see how things go as we go forward. The concerns regarding demand, big factor in that as well as the funds have pushed that corn market fairly aggressively. About 170,000, 180,000 short contracts last week. It's the largest position since realistically the COVID low uh, back in 2020. And right now, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of put need to get out of there. Another big factor, the anti-inflation mindset. We've seen inflation calm down, the action of the Fed, the loosening of the U.S. dollar. Those things all kind of come into play. And those are things that are anti in terms of commodity price at this time frame. And the money seems to be still staying on that path. Predicting how long these positions may stay requires a crystal ball. You know, realistically, and, and especially in the grains, it, it comes down to the fundamentals and what's going to make them want to get out of that short position, whether it's on the news front. Obviously, you know, we had the Ukraine war here you know, a couple of years ago that helped fire things up, move money into the, the grain sector and the concerns regarding global production. A strong weather event would be a big factor. Obviously, we got the weather going on in Brazil right now, which seems to be improving. So that's only added to the selling pressure here, you know, over the last couple of weeks. There's you know, something like that's going to have to come into play to really make the money nervous and want to get out of these short positions because right now the path of least resistance at least for them still continues to be softer well heinberg also says that weather conditions in brazil as it relates to crop conditions is a market driver definitely this time of year he says right now there's been some improvement in the weather conditions for brazil decent rain came across some key areas of brazil again over the weekend that was anticipated by the market i think that was some of the weakness we saw at the end of 
of the year there, the last couple trading days last week. You know, there's issues there. There's some areas that have lost production. The amount is going to be the hard part. We're trying to figure that out down the road. Social media and the internet is full of pictures of, of failing crops and struggling crops or farmers wiping their crop out to get ready for the next crop just because of lack of production. But at the same time, Brazil is an immensely large country when you talk about size. They're still planting in some regions, harvesting in the other regions. You know, so it's going to be a tough get in terms of figuring out where this production finally comes in. Heimberg says the market expects a soybean crop from Brazil at about 150 million metric tons. That's down about 15 million metric tons. But just to put it in perspective, in 2021, you know, 150 million metric ton production would still be smaller than what we would be this year, despite the weather. So we add that in. Still a lot of beans coming out of South America. Argentina production is going to get back on track this year after two years of drought. There's going to be a lot of pressure on price down the road. Uh, and that's going to continue to make things difficult for the for the markets to really find some footing as long as we continue to struggle out overall on the demand side once again comments with john heimberg from total farm marketing all right coming up next we are going to dive into the markets with mike zuzalo from global commodity analytics back with more market talk right after this make sure to subscribe to the market talk youtube channel you can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country find bonus content and much more it's easy just go to youtube.com slash at market talk egg and hit the subscribe button or you can search for market talk egg on youtube market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the market trade after Wednesday's session, a bit quieter on Wednesday compared to Tuesday's session where it kind of turned into a risk-off day across the board outside of cattle. Wednesday, we came back in a little more mixed activity we saw on the day. Joining us now as we talk about what's happening in these markets and uh, looking at things and getting perspective into the new year, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics is with us. And Mike, always great to have a conversation with you. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year to you and yours. Uh, happy New Year to you as well, Jesse, and all the great listeners and viewers out there with Market Talk. Well, let's dive in. And uh, as I kind of alluded to, uh, a much quieter day on Wednesday, I would say, compared to Tuesday uh, in terms of the market action. Uh, we tried to eke out a little bit of green on the screen and some of the grains. Uh, overall, I know we got a lot to dive into today. Just your general thought here as we kind of started the new year with a bang to the downside and then quieted it down a little bit on Wednesday, Mike. Yeah, I like the way you frame that because there was a big distinction between Tuesday and Wednesday, and I think the big distinction was the crude oil market. Both days we saw the dollar higher. That's a safe haven bid, I think. That's a fear of a weakening demand base. I think the freight shipping issues are really starting to bother the global demand bowls out there for commodities overall. And front and center to that is the crude oil. And that was the difference between Tuesday and Wednesday's trade is we had a sharply higher move back to above $70 a barrel in crude oil, realizing Tuesday we're still, you know, trying to catch up from what we lost on Tuesday because we started off about two and a half percent higher on Tuesday and then shed almost 2%, if not a little bit more than that. 
So we had a net range of almost 5% on Tuesday's trade, ending very poorly in the crude oil market. And so <clears throat> I would say at this point, Jesse, we're at a point in the 2024 grain markets right now and livestock for that matter, where we're picking up where we left off in 2023. Um, we, we don't have the weather to support us as much. And so as a result, the bean bowls are getting out. Um, the hard red wheat bears are trying to push their idea that the crop is getting better and better. And that's why we took out the December lows in hard mm -hmm. red wheat. But I really think the heart and soul of this market in terms of a grain turnaround is, is got to be matched up with the Asian markets, China, i.e., and then this crude oil market. Well, let's talk a little more about crude here. And I, I pulled up the uh, lead month chart for WTI crude and walk us through what you're seeing here. I know I heard a little bit of scuttlebutt about the uh, strategic petroleum reserve as well, I believe on Wednesday and maybe some things there. So I, I talk about this a little bit more in terms of what's going on with this crude oil market right now. Yeah, this is a 2024 outlook all boiled into two lines on this chart. And that's the undervalue line and the overvalue line. These are the prices I see as essentially too cheap and too expensive. And I'll say right up front, as I prepare more of my 2024 value level analysis, soft red wheat and hard red wheat are going to look a lot like WTI in that we are at or below what I think is undervalued, both in terms of where I think we are in global production versus global consumption and where we are in terms of how the funds and have acted the last three to five years. And I try and blend those together, that funds versus fundamentals. And so the question would be asked, why are we making new record highs in the Dow Jones Industrial now? Why did we make new highs in the S&P a week or so ago? Why are we seeing some of these risk on mindsets in gold and Bitcoin? And yet the crude oil just languishes there with the worst geopolitical situation we faced, in my opinion, in 20 plus years. So this is where the undervalue level comes into play. And if you're looking to get into the diesel lock on the winter, looking to get fuel locked in, natural gas locked in, I think that this is the time and the place that it could be a very good point to do because we are at undervalue levels. We're on Wednesday's close, only about $5 away from the six-month low uh, made about four weeks ago. And I think that's the key in this market is I think we're in pretty substantial undervalue territory in the geopolitics. The fact that Saudi Arabia and Iran just joined the BRICS today, um, the fact that the Middle East is heating up in Iran more, in the Red Sea more, I don't think these prices are justified and warranted right now. A lot of geopolitical risks out there in this crude oil market. Uh, great thoughts on that. I know on the flip side of this, too, you know, we look at crude. We got weather, though. That's still a major issue. Not only looking at the U.S. drought monitors, we're getting uh, thoughts together for planting a 2024 crop, but we're watching <clears throat> South America, too. So let's let's look at weather as a whole. What stands out to you here, Mike? Yeah, we only got our Santa Claus rally essentially in the wheat. The row crops did not give it to us. And so there is a disconnect here. And this is why I go back to the demand side of the equation. My mindset is always if the markets are breaking into new lows or going down to major lows, it's because of demand fears. They don't care much about supply. So this goes back to the seasonal drought outlook that USDA gave us or excuse me, NOAA just gave us 
on December 21st, and you know, we're right before the holiday, we really haven't traded this at all because in this seasonal drought outlook, and it doesn't mean it's going to be right, but the fact is, is that yellow area is where the NOAA people think the drought development is going to be likely. And notice how Iowa, Kansas, Missouri stay dark brown, and then we start to increase the drought in their view in northern Kentucky, up into central Illinois, the rest of Indiana, and almost all of the key farm country, corn and bean country of Ohio. And I think between this, Jesse, and some of the South American weather that's still out there that we haven't really traded and priced in, this puts more burden and more pressure on the January 12th crop report. And looking too at uh, the southern hemisphere, that's another key issue that uh, I think we we've been talking about, but maybe as to your point, haven't quite priced in to these markets yet. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty high level uh, piece of analysis that uh, I pay for, and and you, the, where the red arrow is, this is re reflecting the southern hemisphere corn drought stress uh, done by this organization. And they're using a five, seven year historical band. And then they have last year and then they have the five year average uh, mixed in there as well with the orange and yellow lines. Um, and, and, and so you've got a couple of years you can look at definitively. And then you've got the trading bands of five years and, and 10 years. And we're up there in the very top end of the five year and close to the 10 year top of drought stress in the southern hemisphere. Right now, that was this was just updated today. I got in touch with them to give me a fresh update for your show, and they just updated it today. Yes, there's better weather coming for center west Brazil, but I think this is why another private analyst came out and slashed yesterday their supply side, their production side for Brazil, taking their crop and the beans uh, down to 152.8. That's actually below mine by about 1.3 million tons. And they took their corn crop down to 122.4. That's going to be about 4 million tons bigger than me still. And this is the main reason why I am at the 118 level and sitting right there with Conab because in part this indicator. So this is again where between that drought monitor that we just looked at and this stress index, I think we haven't really adjusted to a new lower supply bias coming in this next 10 days with that January 12th crop report. So I'd like to see the supply and demand hook back up after that if USDA does indeed cut the supply more than the demand and kind of retools what the trade is thinking. And I think this is the big issue with the black box funds right now with these algo fund traders. It seems like they choose one side or the other when it comes to how they price this market in. And that's why they use the momentum and sentiment indicators so much. Yeah, and that's a great point you make. Uh, it feels like uh, plenty of fund activity here to begin the year uh, ahead of this key USDA WASDE report out on the 12th. And Mike, as we've, uh, as you know, and many folks know, and we've talked about it and alluded to it, this report is always a, a very big report and can contain, it, it contains just a whole lot of data, doesn't it, Mike? It does, and you get you get what you think are going to be the final numbers for U.S. corn and bean yields, and you could still see some movement in the supply side when it comes to the wheat side of the equation, because especially of spring wheat and Durham, global numbers can move all over the place, and I think all of those are on the table right now. I, I'm not so sure we won't see another little small cut 
in the yield side of the equation for corn and maybe even beans just because of the way things finished up here this year in this country. Well, once again, we are being joined today by Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We'll continue our conversation coming up here after the break. As we saw again, a much quieter day on Wednesday. Corded soybeans really uh, mixed around unchanged with beans mainly three to four higher. Corn unchanged up about a penny. Wheat futures, though, under some pressure, four to seven lower and quietly mixed in cattle and hogs. We were talking crude oil up a little over 2%, up above $72 a barrel on the day. We're going to talk more about the livestock trade, though, coming up after the break. We're also going to dive in and look at some of the corn-soy ratios and more. We'll continue with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Let's get it. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. We're having a conversation today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, let's dive a little more into corded soybeans here, and I'll pull up another chart on our video feed. You're looking at uh, lead month uh, soy corn ratios here, and, and I know that in the last few days we've seen plenty of chart moves here uh, between these two markets. Uh, obviously, you roll the calendar over to a new year. That could lead to farmers selling uh, with a new tax year and more. So I, I guess just to start, walk me through kind of what you're seeing on this chart right now. Yeah, the premise of this chart is the in the front end is to see exactly what the trade is feeling from a standpoint of we didn't get our Santa Claus rally in corn. And if we're not going to get a Santa Claus rally in corn, and I've just gone through a couple reasons why the corn doesn't have a weather premium in it compared to the beans, then the beans are probably going to leak and they're probably going to find a big hole at the bottom of the bag that they're going to start letting go of some of their premium. And that's indeed what's happened here now that we've gotten into the end of last year and in the beginning of this year. And so we see this break back down in the bean corn ratio <clears throat> to 2.74 after sitting up around 2.85, 2.9 for the better part of the second half of 2023. This hasn't translated as much into um, the, the new crop, though, and that's where we if we look at that chart in the new crop beans divided by the new crop corn, then we see that we saw a bigger break from about 2.52 beans minus corn. And I have that written backwards in the in the title. So it's beans into corn, um, but bean corn ratio is now at 2.47. And that was during midday today, Jesse. That suggests to me we're starting to look towards trying to buy more corn acres back. And I think as you get down to 2.4, 2.42, you really start to press the throttle up to get farmers to plant more corn. And, and that's the problem with this market. If the beans don't go up, uh, the, the corn's going to have a hard time <clears throat> staying above $5. And so that's where this situation on the January 12th crop report becomes so important. I really would like to see the corn and the wheat take charge here and come off their undervalue levels and support the beans at this 1275, maybe even get back to $13 in the new crop side of the equation. 
Well, thinking about buying more corn acres back too. Uh, your thoughts here as we kick off the new year, and you know, you think about regional basis opportunities and more. We've seen a lot of farmers selling. We got a lot of corn in storage, Mike. We've talked about that from this recently harvested crop. Are we seeing a lot of movement here early on in this new calendar year or not so much yet? No, we are. I think that's the, that's one of the universal things that I am seeing because producers are calling in and saying, I've got to let some cash go. Some basis contracts are starting to creep in on me with this futures break, and I'm, I'm going to need to do some cash flow here. And uh, do I need to reown it here on the board? And I, that's, mm-hmm. I think, a really good idea, generally speaking. In a known cost manner right now, I would explore unlimited risk um, once I saw those January 12th crop report numbers or if I did a futures, maybe put a cheap put underneath me as kind of a, a stop gap so you didn't get you know completely trounced if we would go you know cash uh, the, the market would cash out and just go, go straight limit down. But one of the things that I'm hearing also from the producers, it's important, I think, Jesse, is I had a good conversation with an Indiana producer today, and he said, I did my cost of production on corn, and I'm sitting at 500 bucks an acre. That's with light fertilizer, not counting, obviously, my cash rents. And if you're running a two 250 cash rent, you've got another 50 bucks to put on in terms of fertilizer, like this guy probably will need to do, you're up to 800 bucks right now in cost of production. And that's why the beans look so good. And I think that's why that bean corn ratio becomes so important now. And especially after the Jan crop report, because then we turn the corner, start factoring in the new crop, crop insurance prices as we get into February. All right, let's switch over to livestock. You know, we think about where corn prices are a little cheaper. It might be good for some of our feeder folks. Uh, We had a really strong day on Tuesday in both fats and feeders. Uh, A little more mixed activity Wednesday, but uh, walk us through this uh, feeder fat spread chart that you have right now. What are some of the features you're seeing in the cattle complex? Well, I had a lot of angry cattlemen today because the models have turned colder, and that was late last week, and the, the trade hadn't really caught up with that yet. Now they've turned wetter, and that means snow. And the GFS model is putting a couple, three big snow systems in the Plains states. And this is the GFS model here, and it's picking Kansas. And you're looking at Wichita, Hutchinson, 20 inches of snow. Now, this is going to run hot. I think it's a heavier amount just based upon watching these year year in and year out in the wintertime, especially in the early winter when we turn from warmer to cooler. But the updated European model also shows 15 to 20 inches, but it's more in the heart of Omaha. And so instead of Kansas City, it shoots the major part of the storm about 200 miles north. So both major models in the next seven days are putting down a lot of snow. That got me to look at that feeder fat spread that uh, we have here. And, And we typically can bottom in the feeders minus the fats in Q1, Q2, essentially the last seven years, we would carve out some type of low in the feeders and and against the fats. Between what I'm seeing in the cash feeder market right now and between this winter weather, and as you point out, the weaker corn prices, I think that's something to really look at here if you're working with me in terms of a brokerage side of the equation, maybe a spread trade where you come into the long feeder, short fat mindset in uh, say the March uh, futures for the feeders. In terms of the funds, too, in this cattle market, I know we've watched some of that fund money move in and out here. And as we start a new year, I wonder if 
depending on where things lay, if we could see some of that managed money, maybe move back into these cattle markets, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, that's a really great point too. I mean, they were net short uh, two weeks ago. I, I didn't look at their most recent number. I had meant to do that, but I think they're still net short at this point, if not even. And so I think there's a lot of room for them to jump back in. I'm encouraged to see the December fat cattle market jump when it expired and it, it closed up near 174 that really gave the fat cattle market a chance for the February lead month now to really try and shine. And I think that's where, again, like the grains, we essentially picked up in 24 where we left off in 23. Cash fat cattle, I think, could establish themselves this week finally with this winter weather pattern. And, and because I think the Packers, even maybe they're cutting in the red, but I think they're going to need to really get some movement going here if we have kind of a, a really hectic January winter, which we were not expecting. We were expecting a warm January and then to turn colder in February. So if the fat cattle can play along, that even adds maybe a little bit more upside to the feeders in terms of potential recovery. Still not off that 2014-15 mindset, though, Jesse. I think this is still the opportunity to get rehedged heading into the springtime, especially given the equities markets, the dollar, and the hog market. Speaking of that hog market, too, mm -hmm. hogs kind of churning around down here at low prices, Prop 12. We got inspectors out for Prop 12. Uh, the rumors are already across parts of the country, even though it uh, doesn't technically go into effect uh, fully until the summer. I have to think, though, that's maybe having an effect here. This hog market just remaining pretty dismal here as we start off the new year, Mike. It is. And I think, you know, Prop 12 is mostly about California. But as you say, it does get into the other parts of the country, especially if more laws get thrown out there. Um, so I think we've got most of that Prop 12 issue factored in. We've got the Deese Hogs and Pigs report showing liquidation pressure. I think most of that's factored in at this point because I am now hearing pretty pretty normally and pretty regularly, unfortunately, uh, hog producers getting out and getting out for good because they're in their 50s, 60s, and they're just not going to lose and burn any more equity at this point after a dismal 2023. I think they see the writing on the wall is just not worth it because it's going to take years to make that back in their minds. Um, I think the big thing still is China. That's probably the biggest mm -hmm. issue as far as the bottom falling out of the hog markets again. So I'm hopeful that the Chinese leader is very nervous about his position and his leadership. I'm very hopeful that he moves on the economic front and he moves on the trade front as well. So we'll keep an eye on those export sales. Mike, final thoughts real quick before we let you go. Anything you want to mention or reiterate today? Yeah, great time to take a look at the website, globalcomresearch.com. I just posted uh, 2024 product services and kept all my prices the same. I just posted a new uh, subscription deal for three months for $100. You can sign up there. Please take a look at our analysis. I think uh, it may be a really great time to take a look at what we do and that independent research we do and keep track of those value levels and get to know those value levels and see if they don't work into your operation. Globalcom with two M's, research.com. With that, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always great to talk with you, my friend. Have a awesome rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jesse, and Happy New Year again.
And thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Once again, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here on Market Talk. Learn more again at globalcomresearch.com. Globalcom with two M's, research.com. Few of the closes from Wednesday. March corn up one and a half, 465 at a quarter. May corn up one, 478. January beans down four and a half, 1269 and a half. March beans up three and a half, 1277. Bean meal, January up 210 a ton, 381. January bean oil up 31 points, 4810. March Chicago wheat six and a half lower, six and a quarter. May was down six and a quarter, 613. March Kansas City wheat down seven and a half, 621 and a half. March spring wheat down six and a half, 708 and a half. February live cattle down seven, 171.85. April 25 higher, 174.75. Feeder cattle January up 65, 226.07. March up 57, 227.02. February hogs down to 65.30. April lean hogs 30 lower at 72.20. Let's recap of some of the closes from Wednesday's session. All right, coming up next here, we'll take a look at a few news headlines, including a, a tough year for pork producers in 2023. Any comments from Scott Hayes, president of the National Pork Producers Council? That and more is coming up next here as we continue with Market Talk. We'll be back with a look at news and wrap up the program on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today, of course. And uh, thanks to Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics for joining us uh, with his market analysis here. Great to have a conversation as we kick off a new year. There's definitely a lot to think about here moving forward as we get into the month of January. Got that big WASD report coming up on January 12th as well. That's going to be a uh, huge market mover that we got to think about here uh, coming up in just a little over a week's time. Well, let's take a look at some news headlines. And 2023 was a challenging year for pork producers. Scott Hayes was introduced as president of the National Pork Producers Council back in August. The Missouri farmer explains the headwinds that pork producers faced in the last year. It's been a challenging year financially. Pork producers a very challenging year. Uh, our cost of production has is, is been high. It's still running about 60% higher than it was three years ago, even though we got some relief with this harvest. Hayes says the industry looks forward to 2024, hopefully being a profitable year. There's good things happening on exports. Exports are up some. Uh, and uh, I know our friends at, at Pork Board are working on domestic consumption, and, and uh, I think we'll get some movement there. And he adds that pork provides a great value at the meat case. Somebody told me last night, I can buy a whole pork loin for what I have to pay for a pound of beef. And hopefully people will see that and pick up that pork. You know, we, we had a lot of new pork eaters during COVID when they're eating at home. And so hopefully they see that value and buy some product and, and cook it and, and their family enjoys it. 
Again, that's Scott Hayes, president of the National Pork Producers Council and farmer from Missouri. Well, a new program from Certified Angus Beef called Ranch to Table is expected to gain momentum in 2024. Certified Angus Beef Director of Producer Engagement, Kara Lee, says the effort was driven by producer demand, not consumer demand. We have a higher number of our membership at the American Angus Association who are very hands-on involved in direct-to-consumer beef merchandising. And as a member-owned brand, you know, we, we felt the frustration of those folks who said, we know we have high-quality beef that have the ability to meet certified Angus beef brand specifications, but we didn't have an infrastructure in place for some of those smaller custom processors to allow those producers to get carcasses certified. Well, Ranch to Table allows those producers uh, to engage in the process to access certified Angus beef branding where it makes sense. Lisa's quality was the non-negotiable for organizers of the program, making sure consumers have the same high-quality eating experience every time. We are still requiring that those carcasses are evaluated by an approved form of federal grading. We realize that's a different hurdle that a lot of smaller processors have not had the opportunity to work through in the past. But the beautiful thing about the timing of this is that we've actually seen a lot of encouraging endeavors through USDA. They realize there's a need and they've been working with us on finding some creative solutions. I won't lie, that's certainly one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of interested parties are still facing today. But the reality is there are solutions that exist today that really didn't even just two or three years ago. And Certified Angus Beef also provides a special marketing kit to help producers full of resources to uh, promote Cab's premium products. Again, that's comments with Carol Lee from Certified Angus Beef. Well, also, Cattlemen's Congress back for the fourth time at the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma Fairgrounds and is poised to once again be easily the largest beef cattle show in North America as it gets underway for its fourth show. The numbers are impressive. Over 8,000 entries spread out over 25 beef breeds with shows happening daily December 30th through January 11th here, so ongoing right now. 15 sales featuring elite genetics that will generate several million dollars, not to mention the countless private treaty sales that exhibitors will be able to close back in the barns, according to Executive Vice President Bray Haven. You see the barns are full. People are here. As I talk with other show managers across the country, they're saying the same things. People show up when they enter. So I think we're going to have a significant number of cattle here. We're not declining in numbers. We are growing still, and several of our breeds are still on the rise too. And so it's really good to see all the different breeds that are here and to see them interact with the other breeds. And each breed is unique in their own way, and so they're all excited to be here too. Haven says another aspect of this event that continues to shine is the trade show, a combination of cattle industry, cutting-edge production technology, technology and lots of western bling and western wear so we'll have a great trade show i saw some people walking through the barn just a second ago and they were just here checking out the trade show and might check out some cattle while they're here but i think that's something that we can offer just the general public or people that may be coming through oklahoma city or coming up to visit or whatever just uh, stop by it's still free admission and we just encourage people to come come check out what's going on with cattlemen's congress here in 2024 when it was established in 2021, Cattlemen's Congress's goal was to provide a world-class event specifically designed for cattlemen and women to gather, showcase, and market their elite cattle genetics. Well, the Farmers for Soil Health initiative started with the soy, corn, and pork commodity groups looking to collaborate in the sustainability space. Jack Cornell, Director of Sustainable Supply for the United Soybean Board, says the initiative was aided by a substantial grant from USDA's partnership 
for climate smart commodities. We were awarded one of the largest grants, which was $95 million. And how we are using that money is to do cost share for farmers putting on cover crops, uh, around $70 million of it, with $20 million going towards technical assistance, like helping farmers actually navigate cover crops. And then within the remaining funds is really looking at building an infrastructure for an open market trading platform, essentially allowing farmers to go in and negotiate with box companies or different companies that want to offset some of their different environmental footprint things and allow farmers to actually openly negotiate for the selling of those beans virtually to those organizations that want to offset those. The initiative set a goal of 30 million acres of cover crops by 2030. Cornell says that's just one of the sustainability objectives the program is looking to deliver for farmers. We worked with those state commodity groups. They told us what they want the technical assistance to look like. They implemented it and then we're putting the funding structure in for that. And so what they're doing is, is they're helping farmers with not only cover crops and this platform, but also anything else, whether it's thinking about no-till or reduced till, really thinking about helping farmers along their sustainability journey. And so that's really our delivery system. It's kind of unique because not only do you have national level commodity groups contributing and helping put this in the right position, we're also working together with our state commodity groups as a true partner in this and really having a lot of layers of farmer influence and farmer insights into making a top-tier program. Well, the initiative is looking for more applications from farmers who want to plant cover crops. You can do that and learn more online at unitedsoybean.org. We're out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.